are listening to Up to Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Welcome everyone to a healthier view. We love bringing you motivational shows that give you inspiration to unlock the greatest potential. And today is no different. Dr. Clitheroe and I have a very special guest, John A. Light, for this episode. For those who don't know who John is, he's a former mobster for John Gaddy of the Gambino crime family who has turned his life around. Since John got out of that lifestyle, he has publicly denounced the life of organized crime. He's a motivational speaker and has co-written three books. His new book titled Mafia International is now available on his website. I can tell everyone listening to this right now, you are in for a treat today because John truly has a story to share with so many people. It's a story about healing, forgiveness, and redemption. So John, let's jump right in. First off, I am thrilled to have you here today. Welcome to A Healthier View, and thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of our show. Thank you. I was excited to join the show. It's something different, and I was uh, really looking forward to it. Great. I can, uh, right off the bat, John, I want to recommend your podcast. I've, you know, in preparation for the show, I've listened to a a few of them, and you're you're just a great storyteller. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I said I, I hope it uh, it helps somebody, some of the parents that uh, realize some of the, the, the things and the, the treachery in the street, and maybe yeah. they can pass that message on to their kids or, or young adults that are in trouble. So yeah, for yeah, sure, I hope it helps. Yeah. Well, John, I think you know people. A lot of people know the backstory about the Gambino family and, and John and Gotti, but if you wouldn't mind just kind of giving us a little background about yourself, so that um, you know we know a little bit more about you. As a kid, I grew up in a neighborhood called Woodhaven that was nicknamed Death Haven. It was an inner city neighborhood outside of, uh, on a Brooklyn and Queens borderline. And uh, it was known for being an interracial area, uh, lower, I guess, class, lower middle class. So uh, I know what it is to be born into a, a, a zip code that, uh, you know, unfortunately brings crime, drugs, and uh, violent behavior instead of uh, a positive lifestyle influence. And a lot of us go to the wrong side of the street and hmm. end up following that path like I did. And unfortunately, uh, it took me a lot of years to correct it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, John, I know you went to college for three years on a baseball scholarship, but I'm dying to know what you majored in. I mean, what was your dream job as a fresh-faced 18-year-old when you stepped onto that college campus? I actually was uh, majored in criminology and accounting. And, uh, wow. you know, I had ambitions to, to be, to get involved with law and political science. And I was a big athlete. So I was always uh, working out and I was a small guy and, uh, I just was always a boxer and baseball player. And I got into a lot of cardio stuff, running and jumping rope and things like that. Not so much weightlifting. And, mm-hmm. uh, I really, uh, I missed my calling, I think, uh, because I'm still very active in, uh, politics. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit more about your uh, baseball career. I, I, I think it's a great sport, and 
and um, one of my passions. Did you you obviously played in high school? What what position did you play? Where did you go to play in school? Uh, as a young boy, I was I played almost every position. I was a catcher, <laughs> or a shortstop in the outfield. My my coach was uh, uh, Albert Anastasia, who was the the major figure in the crime world. Uh, his main guy was Andy Ruggiero. His sons were my baseball coaches. That's wonderful. You know, looking at your the pictures on the internet, you seem like a you see, you got that catcher physique. You know, you you seem like a guy who could block the plate and throw that guy out at second. Did you did you enjoy catching, or what was your favorite position? Uh, I enjoyed catching, and as yeah. I got older, I went to second base. I became the the uh, high school captain of the baseball team. Uh, wow, junior and senior year, uh, I played all four years varsity. And uh, I played on travel teams. I played on several teams a year, three or four teams a year, and kind of kept me out of trouble. Um, John, you mentioned how baseball and someone from the mafia, there was kind of, um, you know, holding hands there. You know, pop culture has really glamorized the mafia with shows like The Godfather, Casino, Goodfellows, The Sopranos. And I actually really enjoy watching those shows. I guess there seems to be such a, a sense of glamour and excitement and the impression of strong relationships, not only within the family, but friendships as well. Like someone's always got your back. Why do you think people are fascinated with the mafia? Well, I think because they make it seem like it's such a glamorous life without the treachery. They don't show the part that father kills son, sons kill their fathers, brothers are killing each other. The, the, the treachery of money and uh, a one-way thinking of, of uh, just guys destroying each other's lives and family lives. Instead, they show this unique friendships and loyalty. And it just doesn't exist. It's not the truth. And I try to bring that out in my books and in uh, my podcast. And I try to be very graphic. And sometimes people say, how's this a, a show for kids to listen to? Because, you know, life unfortunately is, is uh, very vicious, not fair. Uh, people don't end up on a live, uh, even playing field. Uh, you know, people well, are born into very rich families and people are born in poverty. And that's the real world, the hard world. And the, the things that go on the street are, are, are very dangerous. And I try to give them a, a real view of what really the, the, the street world is. TV world of the street is uh, just a fantasy. It's like going to Disney World and the kids believing in that and following that. And so many kids end up dead or in prison because we believe in what we're seeing on TV or reading or, or uh, you know, some of the uh, nonsense that's you know told by, uh, I guess, some of the journalists, some of them that don't mean you know, portray that as such a, a great life. But, you know, that's how it comes across to a young guy. And I try to give it to him the way it really is. Uh, just complete dangerous and uh, violent and uh, just a terrible world. It's it's not a good world at all. You know, Beth touched on that in that the, the I hear you talk a lot and about friends that you made in that time and, and colleagues. And do you, are you able to, to bridge that divide in your life or do you still connect with some of those people that were friends that you had a relationship with in the past? Have you maintained those relationships? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some active guys and, you know, I never say the names of the guys that are active that are very sure. friendly with me. Some of them are lovely guys. Uh, I'm not, they're not kids. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not here to lecture them how to live their life. Yeah. Although I'm out, I stepped out of that life. Uh, I have a lot of, you know, respect for some of them because of, you know, the hard lives they live. And unfortunately they don't have the ability or the strength to get out of it. Like I did. And then I have guys that uh, are not active in that life anymore. And, you know, I socialize with them. 
because, you know, I've said it on my show. Some of these guys were my enemies. Very, very serious guys tried to kill me in the past. But when we all shook hands and said we're walking away from that life, we didn't do it by words. We do it by our actions. Mm -hmm. So we respect each other. We moved on. We changed our lives. We went in a different direction. And uh, we actually help each other to stay away from that uh, way of thinking because people on a constant basis try to bait us back into that world, hmm. uh, either out of jealousy, envious, uh, because they can't do what we did and reinvent hmm. themselves. And, uh, you know, sometimes people that are miserable, you know, they, they don't want to bring in, uh, you know, they want to bring you down. And a lot of these kids, when they're going to school, you know, they, they want to fit in. And some of the bad kids bring the, the, the better kids in, but maybe the kids are scared or they want to be part of an organization or a gang so they can feel secure. And I'm trying to teach them to stand on their own two feet. And the guy that's standing on alone is really the strong one. The guys that need those groups are actually weak and they feed off each other to, to be strong. And there's a big difference between that person that could uh, stand alone. And I'm trying to teach them to have that mental ability to be able to do that. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, I think when you develop a sense, um, a true sense of yourself, you protect yourself by setting boundaries for your life and the people you engage with, like you just spoke about. So how do you get close to people or let them or let someone in your life now? I mean, going through what you did and hanging out with people that might not have always had your best interest in mind. How do you trust people now? You know, when you're hurt so badly and betrayed like I was by so many uh, you have a tendency to put your guard up. And, and actually, I, I think I do the opposite. I let everybody in still, hmm. but I, it, I take a little longer of, of, of paying attention uh, what, what their reasons are to be friendly with me. Because in the street world, they were friendly with me because I was dangerous and, and they can make money off me or they can use me. I was a big commodity in the mob. And people that watch my show, you have a lot of these trolls that uh, I can only imagine what a young kid is going to school and he's being bullied, but when he goes home, he can still be bullied because they do it to me. And, you know, and, and it's like, you know, you, sometimes you get hundreds of guys, yet if they don't like listening to what I say, you, you got to say to yourself, why are they on my show then? Why are they listening? Why are they writing on it? So that's the part where you, I understand they're very weak. They're weak and they're, and they're jealous and uh, they're trying to bring you down and trying to get a reaction. Maybe they're trying to get that 10 second of fame. And I'm trying to teach these young guys that uh, these kids are trying to bully. Uh, obviously, they're intimidating. That's why they're bullying them. So hmm. they got to look in the mirror and say, wow, this guy really, really is jealous of me. This guy really wants to be me. This guy's intimidated by my looks or my, my mental capacity as an intelligent uh, you know, young man or, or child. And you got to realize why they're doing it. And, you know, sometimes we all seem to jump and sometimes having that bad day, and you might say something or react. Uh, verbally or in you know, written form, but not physically. I don't, I don't react anymore. Then I, you know, I, I step back and I say, I can't do that. I can't let somebody do that. If I'm going to be an example for somebody's kids, I got to be able to show them uh, the whole way through that I can still be that example. And, you know, we were all good. Nobody's perfect. We're going to have those weak moments. But overall, uh, for 10 years now, I changed my life. And I'm showing kids if somebody is violent as I used to be in my past can do it, uh, they certainly can. And those people that are examples, of trolling on adults that are trolling, they should be ashamed of themselves because young kids are watching us. Yeah. yeah. We all yeah. have opinions, you know, politically in every other way. That's, that's America. And that's a good thing. You know, we can debate and, you know, people say sometimes I have strong opinions and it's just an opinion. It doesn't mean it's fact. It doesn't mean it's 
my way is the right way. It just means that we're able to discuss it as adults and, and you know, and keep that dialogue open. I think it's uh, sometimes politically, I think it's a big mistake when you hear in a lot of these journalists uh, giving their opinion instead of news. And I know they don't mean it, but I think they got to understand we're here to debate as a country. That's what made us a great nation. Yeah. And that's, that is so true. When you're working with kids, John, and you're talking about this, I, my word, self-control, you know, or, I, I, do you, do you have like tips that you give them? I mean, count to 10 or, I mean, I, yeah, I know it just takes practice, but are there any like um, th- tools or, or tips that you can give us that you've used to kind of work on that um, internal dialogue where you try to kind of understand where this person may be coming from or what their ultimate motives are, anything you use that would help us? Yeah, hundred percent. My 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 therapist I've been seeing for thirty years, Nikki Stafford. Uh, Rosemary Stafford's her real name, but she goes by Nikki. Uh-huh. She helped me just what you just said. Don't take your first reaction. My first reaction is always the same as it always was because I grew up very physical in my yeah. house on the street. So you know your yeah. natural you know comfort level is to go the way you used to go, right? My comfort mm-hmm. level was to be physical. She taught me to basically do what you're saying, mm-hmm. uh, not per se count, but subconsciously count. Yeah. And don't take your first reaction, take your second and third or fourth reaction, which is uh, understanding being physical is somebody who's very weak, that somebody lashes out because I was weak at one time, because when I couldn't get my way, I forced my way as an individual. And as, as you develop uh, mentally, and no matter what age you are, uh, you learn self-discipline and control and respect. And the real world, people respect each other through conversation. So mm. she taught me to do that, and I'm trying to teach kids to do that. And a matter of fact, just recently, I have a lot of issues with, with Gotti and his family, and they troll me, and they do it. I just I offered him a different way to settle things, to get in a boxing ring with me, that uh, people I sat down in the last week about uh, getting on pay-per-view and, and different major outlets and uh, getting in the ring and doing it the you know gentleman way in a, in a sporting yeah. manner. And uh, he's refusing so far to, to jump in the ring with me. And, you know, so, you know, these are the ways I, I, I learned to combat some of the yeah. uh, old ways of doing things or other people that, you know, try to come at me in a, in a different way. I, I try to get the old reaction of me. And the only person I would be hurting and I'm trying to teach kids that is myself mm-hmm. to go backwards in life. I got a new life. And uh, I really appreciate what uh, Mickey and, and some of my all the therapists, but especially Nikki, who worked with me for years one-on-one, helped me to develop myself where uh, I'm not insecure to, to, or don't let my ego get in the way of somebody challenging me. Boy, that's, that is fantastic. I mean, you kind of brought up another point that I wanted to ask you about boxing. I mean, right now, are you, um, like, tell us a little bit about your, your physical fitness regimen. What are your, you know, what are you doing right now to stay fit? Well, I, I'm not a, a weightlifter. I do a lot of walking, biking. I used to do a lot of running. I'd run about seven miles on an average a day. Uh, I love wow. running. I love the endorphins of running. I hit bags. I jump rope. I had a pro training camp in Voorhees, New Jersey uh, with some of my close friends. Denny Brown's a, a top trainer and special uh, trainer. Prince Bardi, several loads. And he won several belts. Bobby Chez, a three-time champ. These are some of my friends I grew up with in the, in the boxing world. Uh, Jerry Cooney as a kid. Uh, trained with him in Lost Battalion Hall and Bernard Hopkins. We used to go train with him at the firehouse, became the middleweight champ for years and he held s- several divisions, uh, mm. great fighters. And so, you know, I'm used to being in that arena with these kind of guys and self and, you know, very disciplined. Uh, don't do drugs, uh, don't really even drink these guys. 
Mm-hmm. which uh, I couldn't follow them all the way that way. I like that. <laughs> uh, I have to have some fun. And, you know, as I get older, I just try to see, uh, you know, I just try to stay. I do a lot of push-ups. I, you know, on a minimum, I do three to 500 a day. And, uh, oh, my. I, I, yeah, and I, you know, over a couple of years, as you get older, you know, I, had several, you know, I had several surgeries. And I just worked through them. They happened. You know, I had a bad car accident. I had a hip replacement. I had thyroid cancer. I had that removed. I had uh, AFib recently. Wow. And, uh, you know, I just go, I just go back. So I, and, and I, you know, I go through uh, a regimen of health foods through my sons that help me. And I, I keep moving. I stay very active, play handball. And, uh, and I just keep a positive attitude towards life. I love life. I miss a lot of it. And I try to tell kids, uh, you know, life is uh, precious and, mm-hmm. and, you know, enjoy every minute of it because you don't know what can happen to you. Uh, whether it's physical or an accident or anything else. And, you know, just, it's just a short, you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy every yeah. day of your life. That's great. Great. Uh, yeah. Great way to think about things. Yeah, for sure. You know, we were just talking about fitness, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, John, you spent a lot of time exercising and organizing tournaments while you were in prison, which I am sure was such a blessing for so many people. I mean, you just mentioned this, but people who start an exercise regimen talk about the feeling of having more energy and continual exercise and can have a lasting positive impact on levels of genuine happiness. One of my favorite quotes is, what gives life meaning is knowing oneself. So you took your passion, something you grew up with and did something beautiful for others while you were in prison. And perhaps you didn't even know the impact that that would have, but did you find that exercise and sports helped you and the others in prison, not only physically, but mentally as well? Oh, hundred percent physically. I mean, no doubt, obviously it's going to help you physically, but what I say to everybody, I wrote a book with Nick Christopher called prison rules. And we discussed the mental aspect of working out. And the more you're in physical engagement in sports, the more you're not in that prison. Your mind's mm. on competition and your adrenaline is forgetting about if you're in a, a prison, you could be in a schoolyard, you could be in an arena, you could be anywhere you want when you're, in, when you're competing, whether it's uh, not physical activity, whether it's chess or cards or checkers or, or jogging or anything that you can do to take yourself and obviously reading, you know, I was an avid reader in jail. When you can take yourself out of that atmosphere and bring positive energy to your, your mental capacity, I think that's the idea when you're in jail. And I try to write about that and talk about how do you survive prison. And I think if everything is not like people think the fight game in the boxing ring of Bernard Hopkins, what makes a guy like him such a great fighter? He was so mentally strong in the ring. He's very smart in the ring. Uh, uh, Mayweather, people see Mayweather at an you know, older age and he's still in the ring playing around. This is because of the intelligence. It isn't because of the physical. You know, somebody could come in there as a, you know, a triathlete, but yet when they get in a ring, they don't have the breathing capacity because of nerves. Somebody that's a big runner, a marathon runner, can't get in a pool and, and, uh, uh, or the ocean and swim cross-country because there's different breathing mechanisms to, to relax you mentally. So everything's mental. And, and if you can control yourself mentally or control what other people, don't let other people control you mentally when they... Uh, try to hurt you with words or, or intimidate you or write about you. Everything is on, is, you're in the power of controlling everything. So you need to work on your mind and your mind will control your body and uh, it'll, try, it'll control your attitude. And, you know, and I've learned to do that over the years now. Did you have somebody that you, uh, 
And, and you were already an athlete. I know that. No, you, you, so you had that athlete's mentality. But when you were in prison, did would you have anybody influence you in that regard? As far as somebody, some somebody you befriended who was also an avid uh, person from a workout standpoint, or did that just kind of come right out of your your past? No, I, you know, since I'm three years old, my father had me boxing. His pictures of us boxing and playing baseball is like he could hardly walk. And me and my brother. We're both very athletic, and, and that so that physical training he gave us actually helped us survive on the street because yeah. I, I, I really didn't feel pain. But in prison, you know, I had some pre, a bad priest over the years that uh, I spoke about. But then I spoke about, I'm not one of those guys that blame the whole Catholic Church, but then I had priests that saved my life. And I had mm-hmm. bad anxiety at points in my life. I was a hypochondriac. When, when I was thinking about things physic, uh, mentally, I would take it out on my physical but then there was a couple of priests in prison that I got close with that were kind of like a, a second a psychologist to me, like Mickey Stafford was, mm-hmm. that taught me uh, to, you know, that really taught me to change my thinking and uh, helped me uh, in uh, changing my mindset. And, and, and I got to give a lot of credit to some of the priests. And, and you know, I, I talk about uh, the priests and the police and, you know, I talk about law enforcement and, you know, everybody's an individual. So I don't like when people group, whether it's racism or anything. People, I think, I believe individually, people are overall good people. I think 99% of people are really overwhelmingly good. I don't believe there's racism like they say. I don't believe the Catholic Church is as bad as they say. I mean, there's always bad individuals. I don't think, I think most of the police, and I've dealt with police my whole life because I was a bad guy. And I wouldn't say, I'd rule my incidents. I had a couple really bad cops but overall they're, they're, they were decent human beings mm-hmm. they just want to go home to their family so yeah. i think it's the mindset of who you are you want to believe that that's going to be in your life because you're rejecting negativity if you want to believe there's not an it's not a by accident that i don't have any more run-ins with cops that before that beat me clubbed me broke my arm broke my head always split my head open it was mm-hmm. the way i was carrying myself that you know caused some of that aggression on their end even though they're bad cops but it caused that aggression because the way I behave or the way I spoke, the way I, I speak now, when they pull me over, I engage. And just yesterday, I, I engaged with about eight uh, different police cars coming to uh, Phil Baroni, who's involved in UFC. I know him since he's a kid. They got in an incident, but the cops all came. Uh, and when the police showed up, they were gentlemen. And, and you yeah. know, people don't talk about the good stories. They only seem to talk about the bad. So I like to talk about the good because these guys are answering calls every day for dangerous guys like Phil. And uh, they handle them like a gentleman. He treated them like a gentleman. And, it, and sometimes it just depends on who's showing up and how they act. And when I got involved, they knew who I was, and I gave them some business calls. And I got to say, I went on, on YouTube, and I, I, I posted some things. And, and then you have the child uh, trolls that will call people rats for saying speaking good about a, a police officer. So when they have that mentality, yeah. these, these are negative people that are miserable with their lives and they want to see uh, dissension. They want to see racial di- discord. And that's not me. My friends are black, white, Spanish, Arabic, Jewish. And I just, you know, like I said, if somebody's a good person, they're a good person. And I, te- I teach my kids the same attitude. So yeah. if you want to be that miserable person that uh, try to bring down the world, but, you know, those are the people who are just not happy with their lives for whatever reason. 
Yeah, that's so true. You know, John, I've done a lot of reflecting about who I was, who I am, who I want to be in my life, as I assume all of us have done at one point or another in our life. But what was the turning point for you? What really inspired you to live a purposeful life? I mean, basically turning your life around and giving back to the community in a powerful, positive way. Oh, I think the kids only see the strong side and everybody talks about it. Wow, this guy's so strong, but they didn't see the Decide. I like when my, you know, people that don't like me are saying, well, this guy's, you know, he was crying and he was this. And I tell people, listen, if you're going to be a real person, you, you know, somebody that has emotions, of course I cried. Of course I had weak moments. Of course I was down and out. And, and you know, when I lost everything, I lost all my family and friends and freedom. And these are the, the, the trials and tribulations that the kids don't see that the pain of suffering and solitary confinement for years or, you know, so I think the change in me was when I was in prisons and the betrayal of not just my friends, but my enemies, you know, there's so much media out there about me and the Gotti family. And, you know, I, I, I happened to be sitting in a penitentiary in Brazil in 2005 in a max security prison, trying to, trying to save my life fighting uh, legally and, and the, uh, with my lawyers not to come back to the United States to face the music. And when I was doing that, uh, Gotti was meeting with the FBI. He was talking to them, informing with them or whatever. And listen, this is not about Gotti. And, you know, as much as the story, I'm telling you, this, that's factual. He was in the newspapers on the headlines that he was meeting with the government trying to cut deals. And his whole regime of guys were, were cutting deals and cooperating. So it's not about that. It's about the kids understanding that, this life is not about brotherhood. It's not about friendships. It's about individual survival. And when these guys were trying to save their lives, I'm not mad at them for it. They seem to be mad at me because of the way I speak. I speak truthful. I'm in a penitentiary. You can't change that. You're in the headlines of the papers. Maybe if he came out, shook hands with me, and, we, and he went around and spoke to some kids with me, that would be the answer because I'm not looking to hate him for the rest of my life. He seems to be looking to hate me because I expose this. And, you know, when, when his dad was dying in jail on his own saliva because he couldn't breathe and get throat cancer, mm. he needs to go out with me. And that's the powerful message to tell the kids, yeah, I cried. I cried in jail. Yeah, I cried because my father was dying. Yeah, I cried because this is a lousy life. Yeah, I cried. But he doesn't want to say that. He wants yeah. to talk like a tough guy or Sammy Gravano. Was, same thing. He, just, he decided to cooperate, but yet he ran to Arizona and he hid. So you're sending one message, but you cooperated. You, you hid it in Arizona. You didn't stay in New York and face the music. And, you know, that's good. That's fine that that's what you did. But stop trying to glamorize this for the kids to believe you guys are tough guys. Because if Gotti was as tough as he claims when Sammy ran to Arizona, why didn't you go kill him? You had opportunity. You didn't want to kill him. And Sammy Gravano in return, same thing. You, you wouldn't have all that security. You would live in New York. You wouldn't need the hired armored guards and, and, and this stuff to walk around. The difference is I talk, but I walk. I live here in New York. I never left the area. And I denounce the, the street world. I denounce it because my life is only one. But everybody else's life to save these kids is, is many. So I owe it to those kids and, and make that sacrifice to say to you, if I lose my life, I lose it. But it's worth losing it this time. When I was on the street trying to lose my life, I did it for nothing. This is something very important now. So, you know, I'm not going to stop this uh, message. And, you know, they're trying to shut me down. And people that, and, I, and, and, and this is the final note on that, 
any gangster, any politician, any police officer, any drug dealer. I don't know a man out there that loves their child and would ever put them in the street. If it's such a good life, why would why are they all put their kids out in the street? So you know, so they know it's they're living a lie. So I don't understand why they're not more verbal about it. Yeah. Yeah. You you have individuals like Michael Francis who talks about God, but the truth is he testified against his own father. There's a, a video out with Greg Vita. He testified against his own father, by the way, who isn't his own father, actually. He's a stepfather. Hmm. He has a real father. His name's Chubby. He never talks about him because it doesn't help him with a financial end. He's also a guy that went to California and he hid there for 35 years. These guys want to project something and, and, he, and he talks about the Bible. But if he believes that, he wouldn't have abandoned his family. He wouldn't went to his father's wake. He wouldn't be hiding in, in California. He wouldn't tell people that Sonny Francis is his father. He would say his real father's chubby. These guys are living a lie, and they're trying to teach these guys, these kids a lie. Yeah. And they're not men enough to stand up to it. So, you know, I've I got to call them out. And people yeah. ask me, is it anything? I don't really have anything particularly against any of these guys, even Gotti at this point, because I moved on with my life. But they have an obligation. Stop lying to these kids. Stop glamorizing your lives. You guys ain't that dangerous. You weren't about that. You know, there's other people that were, but it this group of guys, particularly in Sammy Gravano with 19 murders, he ain't the guy killing. And if anybody could just particularly ask him, did you do the shooting or did somebody else? He won't answer that question because it's, he didn't do it. So why are you trying to glamorize it to the kids and think they, they could be like you when you're not really living that life? Stop lying to these kids. You know, yeah. if he believed that also, he wouldn't have sold drugs when he came out. He wouldn't involve his family in selling drugs. He would have said, I'm sorry for killing a little boy at 15 years old. These guys want to, they're lying to the community of young kids and I'm, and I'm going to go against all of them, whether 10,000 guys write about me or troll about me or try to knock me. I'm going to, I got to have that message to be able to sleep at night and say, they're all lying. And, and we need to save kids' lives, not put them in the street. Yeah. You had said, you know, I, I love the way you talk about kids because obviously they're our future for the whole world. Um, and I, I, I don't know much about your personal life. Do, do you have your own kids? And um, but I, obviously yeah. you're talking about other kids as well. I mean, when you think about your life now, you're thinking about kids and that on the street and kids that may be in the street, kids that grew up in the wrong zip code, like you said. I mean, it sounds like you're thinking about the whole world as your family almost. Yeah, I have three, uh, four children. One, Wonderful. Three, three are doing very well. One is doing is bad, actually. He's in prison. And uh, it, it kills me to know he's there. And this is one of the reasons that, you know, I talk against this. He was yeah. raised in a world of watching me in the street. And it's not our words, it's our actions. And when they yeah. see it, um, you know, he regrets where he is now. Uh, he apologizes constantly to me. And I told him, it's not about apologizing to me. It's about having a good life. I want you to have a good life, come home. And enjoy life. Yeah. So the, the idea is when someone says, you know, you'll, you'll get the trolls that have cursed me out and son's in jail and somebody said it to me. Uh, yeah, unfortunately he is. And that's why I do these talks because I've been doing these talks before my son was ever in prison. I do these talks because my friend Dan that I do work in Brownsville with lost two children to the street. He has another son that's in jail. He's a community leader. Uh, he was on my show. If anybody wants to see what he had to say. And, uh, you know, this is why we're out here, to save other kids and our own children from following this. And it is frustrating because, you know, people are attacking left and right uh, because of their insecurities. They don't like that I'm honest about what I have to say. But if they were really men, uh, they, they would address it in a different way and, and talk like I'm talking and say, yeah. listen, we're sorry for our past. 
you know, you mentioned in one interview that I heard that you suffer from PTSD and you just mentioned that you've had the same therapist for 30 years. I actually have a motto in life and that's everyone needs a good dentist, a gentle dentist, a good personal trainer and someone to talk to that you trust and feel um, that won't judge you. So John, it is so commendable that you are open about therapy. I think for most people who go into therapy, it's a moment when they realize they need to start living authentic. And I honestly think that's what made me come up with the title of the show, which is your second life begins when you realize you only have one to live. So John, how has therapy helped balance you to get to this point in your life? Well, my therapist taught me to get and, and, and get involved with organizations like I do to help other kids because it helps me. And I tell every organization or, or school, whether it's a Newark high school, whether it's some of the college in Ocean County or I work with the Ocean County Police Department or the Queens District Attorney's Office. I did talks for uh, in Queens, and I've done talks with uh, Dave Gentile that's in Forbes Magazine for inner-city troubled kids. And I think that helps uh, me to, to move forward. And I think some of these organizations, every time we do a talk, uh, Mickey taught me to get involved. And I got involved with veterans like Brian Basho and, and, uh, and a guy, Steve, who's a platoon leader. These guys were, uh, they seen all kinds of... Uh, action in war and they have PTSD and they help a lot of groups and we do a lot of shows together and we do podcasts together and I think when you can have conversations with other people that are facing the same thing that we did by being involved with so much violence it helps us individually it helps us as a group and it helps us to help others that are on the street that are you know are weak where they don't they don't feel secure enough to come out and say that they have these issues like we start to talk about if they see me talking about it and Brian speaking about it and Steve speaking about it and a friend of mine, Lance, that was also, uh, you know, a veteran. When, when we talk about these things, and I think it, it gives the other people the courage to, to try to open that, you know, and open up and talk and, and get out there and help the next individual. And I'm hoping that's what, that, that this continues to go and, and it moves forward. And, and like I said, none of us are perfect. We're going to lose our temper and, you know, just don't react. You know, sometimes you say dumb things that you want to take back. And you got to say to yourself, don't be so hard on yourself. My friend Anthony Ruggiano, whose father was the boss, uh, he works with kids for 30 years now that are in rehabs and stuff. And so those are the, the, the guys that are moving positive in a positive direction, saying, let, let, let me give something back for more at negative life we live. And I was very violent. So when people ask me, why am I so out there saying, yes, I did always. Because I've been on shows in, in, in uh, uh, value entertainment out in Texas where I said, yes, I did. Yes, I did to all the violence. People take it as I'm trying to brag that I was this stupid tough guy. It's not at all the reason why I do it. I do it because I want kids to know, yes, I am the guy that did this. Please listen to me. Don't do this because mm-hmm. you don't see the suffering I did because yeah. of this. You didn't see me go to some of the victims' houses and cry with them. You didn't mm-hmm. see that I don't sleep at night. You don't see this. I said, you're listening to individuals that never really did what they're trying to say they did. You know, what I'm talking about, Sammy, with 19 murders, I'm sorry if he did. There was 19, I love him to speak out and tell the kids, well, I shot this one, I did this and this. But he doesn't do it. None of them do it because they really weren't the ones going. So they're not the ones putting themselves, not just the shooting, putting themselves in harm's way like I did. I've been stabbed up a couple of times. I've been batted. I've been shot. So I always put myself in harm's way like a dummy. And I'm teaching kids, please don't be a dummy like me. Because yeah. you didn't see me, you didn't see me crying my eyes out in, at home some nights. Yeah. You don't see me in, in in a jail cell crying my eyes out of frustration for my life, and like and 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 for the regret of, of a lot of the things I did. 
So this is the important factor that everybody's missing. And they're listening to trolls attack me. And, and those same trolls, if they were really who they were, they wouldn't be typing like that. And people got to understand only we people do that. Mm-hmm. It certainly gives you an authenticity with, uh, with young folks who listen to you and who may be thinking about going down that road. Cause you, you know, you, you have been open about that world. And so it, they, you, you know, they know where you're coming from that, you know, Hey, I've been there. Listen to me. I, I am, you know, that, that authenticity must be very powerful for your listeners. Yeah. I have a lot of kids that ask me, what do I do with this? And I've spoken about kids in the UK and different countries in Switzerland that I did talks to, you know, at and with and, and different uh, groups like Stephen Gillen, who's working with kids out of the UK now is an, an amazing individual, very intelligent. He did about 27 years in prison. And when you get guys like him stepping out and, and going out and trying to help kids, we owe these kids and don't be selfish and go out. And we owe them to give them a chance at life that we blew. And, you know, we're back out at, at our ages trying to live life. And it's very difficult at this age to move forward and, and reinvent yourself. But it can be done. Yeah. If we can do it, then they can do it at a young age. And really, that's the message when you get some of these guys with Bobby Louisi who was a minister and he, his father was, you know, he was raised out of Boston uh, in a lot of violence and murder. And, you know, each guy that comes out and does this, I commend him because we're helping so many kids that we don't even know about and the ones that didn't get in touch with us. And the parents that get in touch with me and say, thank you, gives me something I can say to my children where I can understand mm-hmm. what this life's about. And then you got people who say, well, you did this and you, you hurt a lot of people and killed people. Uh, you know, like screw you, you should suffer for the rest of your life. And you're going to get those kind of people. Mm-hmm. But I tell people when they do say that to me, uh, would you rather me not say this and say, stay quiet? Or would you rather me help people? When you can yeah. answer that, you have that question, then, you know, it's not easy opening all the windows and doors to your house and let people pick you apart. But yeah. you know, if I'm strong and other guys are strong and we do this, then maybe we can, you know, we can stop a lot of crime on the street and, and, and help kids get in the right direction. That's wonderful. Well, John, can you, I, I would love to, to hear you tell us a little bit about your new book, uh, Mafia International. I, I, I can't wait to read it. Tell, tell us a little bit about it. Mafia International is, uh, Gotti's Rules was specifically more about Gotti Jr., not my life with Gotti Sr. and the rest of the mafia. Uh, I put some tapes out recently with me at the Ravenite Club with Gotti Sr. and Sammy Gavano, a 30-minute tape, him speaking about me and saying I was an enforcer for the Gambino family and other things. And it, Mafia International goes into other guys that also, on their perspective, some black individuals that grew up with me, very best friends with me over the years, TT and different guys from the hood that speak about me and their experience. Uh, Anthony Ruggiano speaks about me and his experience. I talk about uh, uh, Klaus, who's a partner of mine from Denmark, who's one of the bosses there that we're doing a TV series with now about his life. And... Uh, terrorists that were in jails with me that I try to go after uh, that were involved in blowing up and killing people in London. Uh, and there's different perspectives of different guys, mob guys from Philadelphia whose fathers were the bosses. So it's not my perspective only on me and the mob, but it's other individuals and their perspective about me and the mafia world, not just in the United States. Because a lot of these mob guys never leave the block or never leave their state. I happen to be a guy that traveled uh, into 40-something countries over the years, and I know the European faction of, of uh, being a gangster, not just here, in, in this country. So mm-hmm. I give a different perspective than, than uh, I guess, I don't know too many other gangsters that, that travel around the world the way I did. And 
were involved with other organizations. So I try to give that perspective and, and also these individuals I just mentioned, they give their perspective on it. Wow. Fantastic. You know, I love that the three of us have a common goal, and that's to give a message of hope to the world. After listening to you speak today, John, and knowing Scott forever and a day, we all want to inspire others who are struggling in life, you know, to persevere and to never give up, no matter what the circumstances are. And that's what a healthier view is all about. Um, so how can someone follow you, hear more about your story, and learn more about your life? I know you have a website, which we will put it in the show notes, but John, do you have social media accounts where people um, can follow you as well? Yeah, I have an Instagram called Truth uh, uh, John A. Light. Uh, the True John A. Light, excuse me. And I have uh, Facebook. I have uh, fan pages. My website, www.johnalight.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm pretty out there. I'm in a lot of magazines uh, worldwide. And I just was on uh, Netflix and a show called Kia City. They can follow me. National Geographic show just came out. I got a new show coming out in uh, September on Disney Plus and National Geographic. Uh, it was uh, me on the run in Brazil, Brazil penitentiaries. So, yeah, I'm pretty out there, easy to find. Um, and uh, hopefully if anybody needs any kind of help with their child or a young individual or a young man or anybody, they can reach out to some of these sites. I have a lot of people that work for me, and uh, they'll email me if they want. And, you know, I try to get back to as many people as I can. And I do a Q&A, live Q&A on my uh, podcast, uh, Mafia Truths uh, by John Light. So there's ways they can all reach me. And, you know, at the end of this, trust me, the trolls will attack for some of the things I said today. And, and, and as long as they do, I know I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, I laugh about it. I guess you guys yeah. will laugh and you'll, you'll see it coming once uh-huh. this goes out. So, you know. Well, well, John, I mean, thanks to your generosity, I, I want to tell the listeners that we have uh, 20 of your uh, 20 copies of your new book, Mafia International, that we're going to give away. And we'll get to that later in the program. But I just wanted to thank you for your time. I, obviously, from what you just described, you're very busy. And and um, I appreciate you coming on the show and giving us some insight into how you uh, have turned your life around and how you're and involving fitness in that. We really, really appreciate your expertise and your time. I'd like to say one thing before we end this. I say it on every one of my show. Sure. Crime don't pay unless you pay with your life. So I want the kids to remember that uh, there is no making money on the street, not paying for it. Um, if, if anybody believes that, that's only in the movies. It's nonsense. You will pay with your life one way or another, whether it's losing it, jail, being hurt uh, severely. So please listen. Life on the street does not pay. Well, Absolutely. that's wonderful, John. Well, with that, we'll, um, we'll, we'll pause for a commercial break and we'll be right back. I want to get back to being in my community group. I want to continue having a soccer season. So I can throw parties again. <laughs> so I can go to her parties. <laughs> It'd really be nice to dine in instead of getting delivery for a change. So I can feel safe and protected for myself and my students. We each have our own reason for why we're getting vaccinated against COVID-19. What will yours be? Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org for information on the COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back, and thank you for staying with us. Scott, what did you think of John's story? What a compelling story, and I was very um, just impressed with his vulnerability. You know, I think that's the word. I I mean, Brene Brown is one of my heroes, as you know, Beth, and I kind of thought about vulnerability. I mean, you know, it's vulnerable to put that type of stuff out there, and um, his reasoning was fantastic, and I think he just wants to impact young folks who are at risk, and 
And I, um, I was very impressed. I, I think he's, you know, redemption, you know, he's, he's trying to, you know, pay it forward and, and make amends and, um, and, and do good. And I think it's great. I, I'm, I'm, um, I was very uh, happy that uh, we had him on the show. Yeah, he was very gracious to spend so much time with us. And it's clear that he's lived a life of, you know, heartache and betrayal and loss. And like I said, at the beginning of this conversation, he truly has a story to share with so many people about Mm -hmm. grace and healing and forgiveness and redemption. I believe that people are one word away from saying something meaningful that can change a life. And I'm sure John hit a chord with our audience. It was pretty powerful. Yeah. I just, you know, one thing he said, um, I was going to circle back to it, but we got distracted with our stuff, but just, you know, I, I do, it's helped me Beth mentally and emotionally, and it's not easy, but to just try and remember that there's good in everybody. And I, I'm sure there's people can argue with me, but and I, I just, I feel like for me, it's helpful. You know, I'm cautious. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I still am careful, but it helps me mentally and emotionally to go through life, assuming the best in people. And I have to fight that sometimes. I don't know if it's the way I was raised or just the way I'm wired, but, and I think we all do, but I think it's better to go through life, assuming that, that the person in front of you means well and has good intentions. And, you know, obviously then you have to kind of see how they do, but, you know, he talked about that. I kind of, that really meant a lot to me. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a great interview. So yeah. I want to talk about how can someone win a copy of John's new book, Mafia International? Well, again, he was so kind to uh, give us 20 copies of his new book, um, which I'm sure is compelling reading based on what he described. And, um, and what I would like to ask our listeners is that the first 20 listeners who, well, Beth, let me ask you, do we email it or do we how do they get in touch with us? All you have to do is email us at info at up to me radio.com. And we'll have that in the show notes. So that's it. All you have to do is email the answer to the question Scott is going to ask. So we will you know, obviously go to our show page and email us the answer to the following question. How much is one of John's custom bats, baseball bats, go for how what's the cost of it and that's the basic price he can actually sign it for you for an extra amount but just what's the base price for one of his custom baseball bats and well how do you find the answer to that scott well i'll tell you you go to his website john a light and he pronounces it a light j-o-h-n-a-l-i-t-e.com john com, and you scroll through his interesting website and it'll tell you the cost of his bats and then email us that answer and the first 20 folks to email us the correct answer will get a copy of his book. And I think it's really neat that the proceeds of that sale of the bat go to help youth organizations. I love yes. that. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful thing. Yes. So I love that. Well, Beth, I think, um, you know, we, you and I have been talking a lot about a lot of things lately in our podcast and I'm trying to maybe rethink my fitness plan. I, I still love to run. Um, I think maybe running as I get older may not be the best thing for me, especially when we think about it in the context of, um, of high intensity training. So I'm trying to maybe get more into weightlifting, but what I have been doing lately, and he talked about it is, is, uh, pushups. Yes. I think, um, you know, and I remember an earlier permutation of your podcast, Beth, when it, you know, about trying, you know, live in a life where you don't have to go to the gym, um, you know, sit up some pushups are pretty free, pretty cheap. You know, all you need is a floor, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I'm motivated to listening to him to, um, just to continue to just sit there whenever I get a chance to just drop and do 20 or 10 or five or whatever, and do some sit-ups, you know, this, 
there's really no excuse for it. Um, there's always an opportunity for it. Absolutely. And you know, my favorite type of workout is Tabata, that hit training. I love, I'm obsessed with that now. Wow. So, yeah. And there's times when, you know, push-ups. after you do four or eight minutes of push-ups, I'm literally like, it's like an inch down or sometimes I'll do them against the wall and yeah. I'll tell you, you get a good workout. So I am yeah. So glad that you're going to start doing some strength training because I have, I know you're a runner, you're a swimmer, you're a runner, you like that cardio, but Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're going to start doing that. Yay. Akuna Tabata. Akuna Tabata. (laughs) Reference from our last show. Have you watched The Lion King yet? I haven't. I haven't. I don't really watch too much TV. Okay. You got to watch the original Lion King. It is unbelievable. Nathan Lane. Um, Matthew Broderick, um, uh, who was the, who's the famous, who played the, da- uh, I'm blanking on, he, he was the actor that played, uh, James Earl Jones plays the, uh, Mufasa, just, um, it's yeah. wonderful. Scar was Jeremy Irons, I think. Oh my gosh. What a cast. Yes. I think I'm going to go watch it again. Okay. I, I can't promise. You just need to ask me every once in a while and I'll probably say no, but you know what? It's, you know, this is hurricane season in Texas. So there might be some times I am hunkered inside. Hunkered so. down. Well, okay, Scott, I think we're out of time, but I just want to encourage everyone to like us on Facebook, check out our social media accounts, check out the other amazing shows on up to me radio. Trust me. I think there's like 10 shows now. Oh my gosh. It's growing and growing and growing. You can listen to our shows on Apple podcast, on Google podcast, on Spotify. So until next time, have a healthy day. 